If you would, open your Bible up to 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. That's where we'll be today. And you'll also want to put a finger in Psalm 142, which we've already read today, because that is the psalm that's connected with this particular narrative from David's life. And we'll actually be in both of those passages today. So if you have your Bible with you, let's use that thing. Get it open. It's 1 Samuel 22 and Psalm 142. Now, if you're just joining us in this series on 1 Samuel, we've been tracking the life of David. He has come up as just a poor shepherd boy, but rose quickly up the ranks by fighting the giant Goliath, and he was even given a position in King Saul's royal court. But after a time, it became clear that God was favoring David instead of Saul, and that didn't sit too well with Saul. In fact, God had told Saul that the kingdom would be removed from him and given to someone else. And it seemed obvious to Saul and pretty much the rest of Israel that David was the one to whom God was going to give the kingdom. So what do you do to your political rivals in the ancient world? You kill them, right? And that's what Saul tried to do several times, but never with success. Nevertheless, Saul seems to be on this mission, perpetual mission, to kill David. So David goes into exile as an outlaw for pretty much the next 10 years of his life. He runs away and he tries to find help where he can, but that lands other people into serious trouble for being associated with him. So last week he actually ran away to the Philistine country, uh, enemy, enemy territory, to try and find refuge there from Saul. But that didn't work either because the Philistines, his enemies, found them out. And so this week he heads back now to Israel, back to his home country. But that's not really a safe bet either because he's public enemy number one in Israel. He has a price on his head. So where in the world is he to go? Well, we read in uh, verse 1 of chapter 22, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Now, a couple of years ago, My family went on a day trip to Niagara Cave in southern Minnesota. Has anybody ever been to Niagara Cave? Oh, a few people, a few of you have. If you've never been there, you should go. It's a really wonderful trip, and you can do it in about a day, especially if you have kids. It's a really fascinating um, experience to go way down into that cave, even under the earth. And you can, like I said, do it in a day as a family if you want to. We actually went in the fall, and it was actually almost winter time. It was the end of October, and it was cold out. But they told us when we got there that it would actually be warmer inside the cave because it was perpetually 48 degrees in there all year around. But it was still chilly. And I remember the cave was very, very wet. Everything was wet. The floor was wet. The walls were wet. There was water coming down. There was even water dripping down on your head. In fact, I was looking for pictures uh, from that experience to maybe show one to you, but they wouldn't work on our screen because it's so dark in the cave, the pictures wouldn't be able to show on that screen. But in the pictures that I did take of our kids, they're both wearing raincoats, and they have the hoods up on their raincoats because there's always water dropping on you while you're in the cave. And it was dark. Boy, was it dark. Sure, they had lights scattered throughout the cave, so you could certainly see where you were going on your tour. But when we got to the very end of the tour, at the farthest point into the cave, our tour guide said, why don't we turn out the lights so you can see just how dark it is? And they turned out the lights, and it was one of those, you know, you can get your hand as close to your face as you want to, but you're not going to see your hand. It was absolutely pitch black in that cave. 
And it was a fun place to visit, but that's it. Just visit. It's not a place I'd like to live, let alone feel as though it were the last place on earth I could be safe and free of danger. So get this image in your mind. The anointed and true king of Israel, the man that God chose to lead his people precisely because he was a man after God's own heart, is taking shelter in a dark, dank, wet cave. But following this plan that God has for him to be the king of Israel hasn't been very productive for David recently, at least not from his perspective. Because following God's will for his life has resulted in multiple people trying to murder him, to having to part ways with his best friend, to having to live in exile as an outlaw for the foreseeable future. David must have been thinking in that cave, really, God? Is this it? Is this cave your wonderful plan for my life? But one thing I think that David and we need to remember is that God doesn't promise us that his plans for our lives will be all roses and sunshine. Sometimes he will put us into situations that we will find hard or even unpleasant. I sometimes chuckle when I see greeting cards, which is a very common thing. Uh, When you get into Christian greeting cards, quite often one of the verses that is printed on those greeting cards is Jeremiah 29.11. Do you know that verse? It's a popular verse to put on graduation cards specifically because Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And the reason I chuckle when I see that verse on graduation cards is that if you read just a few more verses down from Jeremiah 29.11, God says to his people, yes, I am going to give you this hope in a future, but after you spend 70 years in captivity. (laughs) That puts a bit of a different perspective on it, doesn't it? Does God have good plans for us, for his people, that will ultimately lead to our good? Yes, he does. But sometimes the road to get there can be a pretty hard road to travel. And that's what David is experiencing right now. The road to the throne included a stop in a dark and wet cave as his home. You see, even being a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that you'll never experience the darkness of the cave Instead, it does mean that even though God has led you into that cave, his light will be there with you in the darkness. So what I'd like to do for the rest of our time this morning is give you some things to do the next time or maybe the first time that God leads you into into a cave. Who knows where God's will will lead your life? Who knows what kind of difficulty you'll face? Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've been in a cave or two in your time, maybe several caves. And some of us have yet to go into a cave. But if you are submitting yourself to God's will for your life, then it's a matter of when, not if, God will lead you into a cave. So what should you do when God's will leads you into a cave? Let me give you three things. Three things that we see from David in this passage. The first thing to do is to look for God in the cave. When God's will leads you into a cave, the first thing you should do is find him there 
in that cave. And again, this is yet another instance in David's life where he reflected on this experience by recording it in a poem, a psalm. And so now we want to turn to Psalm 142. We prayed through this psalm this morning, and it tells us how David feels about being in this cave. Look at verse 1. David says, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. I think it's accurate to say that David is not very happy about his present situation. He's not very comfortable in this cave. There are numerous places he'd rather be. I'm sure he'd rather be back in his hometown, in his own house, in the arms of his wife, enjoying regular food, hot food, sleeping with a roof over his head. But that's not where David is. He's on the run, living in a cave. And so he cries out to the Lord. He pleads for mercy from God. He complains before God even. He tells God about all of his troubles. Listen, when you are in the cave, and it's not very pleasant, you are well within the realm of biblical fidelity to be sad about it to have questions about it, and to bring that sadness and those questions to the Lord. Follow David's example and bring those questions and that sadness to the Lord. When you're in the cave, seek the Lord there for answers. Seek the Lord there for mercy. Don't be afraid to pour out your heart before him, even if you have some complaints. He can take it. He can manage it. And he is more than able to present new mercies to you every morning that you are in that cave. Look at verse 3. David says, When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. I love this verse because it shows the contrast between David's knowledge and God's knowledge and David's frailty and God's power. David says, When my spirit faints within me. In other words, when I have nowhere left to go, but this dark, dank, and wet cave, when I'm on the run from people who are trying to kill me, when I don't have a friend in the world, when I'd rather be anywhere but here, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. David had no idea why he was in that cave. He had no idea what was coming next after the cave, but he knew that God did. David being in a cave wasn't part of David's plan, but he knew that it was part of God's plan. And listen, just from that knowledge alone, knowing that this cave for me is part of God's plan, from that knowledge, David draws strength. From that knowledge, he's able to trust that God had his way planned out, even if it meant some time in a cave. Think about this. That difficult thing you've been going through, God has seen it. And he knows the end of it. God knows the solution. He knows how it's going to resolve. He knows how long it's going to last. Now listen, think about this, really. Think about maybe some difficult thing you've been through or something you're going through right now. And let this knowledge sink into your mind and your heart. God knows the end and has seen the end of this hard thing. Does that bring you some measure of confidence and reassurance? It should. Because it tells you that God is sovereign over that difficult thing, that cave that you're in. Some of you are suffering intensely, even right now. You need to know that God knows your way. You don't know why you're there. You don't know how long it's going to last. But God does. 
So take strength in that and put your hope in the one who sees the end of what you're going through. And now I think verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 142 are really the main point of this psalm and the most important verses for David as he sits alone in that cave. Verse 4, he says, look to the right and see. There is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Now listen to those words of verse 4. No refuge remains for me. No one cares for my soul. David has come to the end of his rope. He left Israel because Saul was not only after him, but he was killing anyone associated with David. And so he runs away to the Philistines, but they were out to get him as well. And so he comes back to Israel to the only place he can find safety, this cave. And he says, this is it. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. But then look at verse 5. David says, I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. See, in verse 4, David says that no refuge remains to him. But in verse 5, he says that God is his refuge. Now, there's a contrast there, right? And this leads me to ask this question. Is it possible that God led David to this cave for the sole purpose of him coming to this epiphany? Could it be that God intentionally removed all other places of refuge that David might go to to find safety for the sole purpose of getting David to realize that God himself is the only refuge he needs? Is it possible that God stripped away everything else so that he was the only thing left so that David would finally see no other refuge remains to me because I don't need any other refuge for you alone are my refuge. Is it possible that that's why David ended up in this cave? Not only is it possible, but I think it's likely. God allowed Saul to chase David out of Israel. No refuge would be found for him in Israel. And God allowed him to be chased out of the city of Gath. No refuge would be found for him in Gath. So that finally, David would see that God is his refuge. Not safety and security in Israel. Not hiding among the Philistines. Only God is his refuge. You see, God brought David low. He removed all other places of refuge. And he brought David to a dark and wet cave so that David would know that God is the only refuge he needs. Sometimes God will remove all other sources of comfort or help or deliverance from us in order to get us to see that he is all the comfort and help and deliverance that we need. Is that maybe a lesson that God is trying to teach you? Is it possible that God has removed all sources of comfort and help from you to get you to see how much you need him? Where are you looking for refuge? Find it in the Lord. Find it in Jesus Christ. Are you in a cave of darkness right now? Jesus has been there. He knows what it's like. He's faced it before. In fact, he went into the darkest cave the tomb, but he came out. And more than just facing that dark cave of the tomb, Jesus overcame it. He gained victory over that cave. 
and he offers to share that victory with you through faith by trusting in him and following him and walking in his ways. He is the only refuge you need and you will have it. You will have him by coming to him in faith. And through your faith, your soul will find refuge. Because when you turn from your sin and come to him in faith, he immediately solves your biggest problem. He immediately removes you from that darkest of all caves, that cave of sin that you've been stuck in. But by his death and resurrection, you can be made right before God by grace through faith, and that dark cave gets a little bit brighter. David said that no one cared for his soul. And sometimes it's easy to feel that way, but the cross proves otherwise. God cares for your soul. And Jesus has volunteered to die in your place so that you might have him as a refuge, even when you're in the cave. So when you enter into that dark and wet and scary cave, the first thing you should do is look for God there, because he's there, right with you in that cave. And if you look for him, you will find him, and he will be all the refuge that you need. Also, When God's will leads you into a cave, another thing you should do is find some other people in that very same cave that you can minister to. This is what David did. Look at, again, the end of verse 1 of, back to 1 Samuel 22, the last half of verse 1. It says, And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, that he was in the cave, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So David is at one of the lowest points in his life in this cave. And when other people hear about it, they go to the cave too. His family, of course, to encourage him, to cheer him up. But also everyone who was in distress, it says, in debt and who were bitter in soul. Now, why do these people come to David in this cave? Because misery loves company? No, I don't think that was it. And I think it was because they were kindred spirits. They were people who, like David, needed some hope. And David was just the man to give it to them. You see, when God's will for your life leads you into that cave, you can bet that there are some other people that are already in that cave right along with you. People who are going through either the same thing or similar things than you are. And being in that cave gives you a very unique opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them, or to be the voice of God to them. You have the opportunity to encourage others through faith, to tell them what God has taught you while you were in that same cave, to tell them how God comforted you in that cave. People who were distressed and bitter in soul could come to David, and he could tell them, or they could tell him all about their problems. And he could say to them, I know exactly how you feel. I was there. I was in that same cave. But you know what? It was actually a good thing for me to be in that cave because God took every safety away from me so that I could come to know his deliverance, that he was the refuge that I sought, and I gained it by trusting in him. And so can you. We're both in this cave together. I've been there. I know what it's like. And I know that God is the only refuge. So let me lead you to him. And that's what these people who come to David are. They're people looking for refuge. And David has been there and he knows the only refuge and he can point them to that refuge. Most of you know that my wife's mother passed away in August last year. 
The death of a parent. Many of you have gone through that. It's a dark cave, isn't it? But having been in that cave, we can help others walk through it. And I thank God that Betsy and I have already been able to do that in just the past few months, to walk through this same cave with other people who are experiencing that same thing. So think about the different caves that you've been in. And how can you intentionally use your time in that cave to, to help those who are also in that cave? How can you use your time in that cave to point someone to the refuge, to point someone to the resolution, the solution to their time in that cave? Just like an alcoholic might find support from a sponsor at an AA meeting, or a cancer patient might find encouragement from a cancer survivor. And you know, this is one of the great blessings of being a part of a church Because there are a lot of us here, and we've been through some stuff collectively. We've been through a lot of caves, I think, all of us in this room. And so we can help each other. We can encourage each other. We can show grace and compassion to each other when we're suffering. You know what? This is another reason, yet another reason, why you should join a community group. Because the odds are that someone in your community group has been through a cave or two in their time, and they can help you when you go into the cave. They can help to point you to the refuge of Jesus Christ. Or maybe this is something you could do for someone in your neighborhood. Is there someone in your neighborhood, maybe one of your neighbors that you know is suffering right now? How can you go into that cave with them to point them to Jesus? So, so far we've seen two reasons that God sometimes leads us into a cave, and perhaps it's to get us to lean into him and trust him more than we did before we went into that cave. Or perhaps it's to give us some experience of what the cave is like so that we can help other people. A third reason God sometimes leads us into a cave is so that we can learn from our time there and be prepared for the next challenge that God will lead us to. Listen to this. Look at verse 3 of 1 Samuel 22. And David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So first, David, we get this little kind of obscure little section about David taking his parents to the king of Moab, and he kind of wants to get them out of harm's way. Now, why Moab? Why does he take them to the king of Moab? Well, there's something you need to know about David's family line. David's great-grandmother was a woman named Ruth. Remember her? Ruth the Moabitess? Ruth moved from the nation of Moab to Israel and married an Israelite man named Boaz, and they had children who had children and so on, and David was Ruth's great-grandson. So there's a bit of a family history between David and the nation of Moab. But what's more interesting about this little section is that after David drops his parents off in Moab, he gets word from the prophet Gad who says, hey, it's time to leave the cave. It's time to go into the land of Judah. Now, in the the translation I'm I'm reading from here, the ESV, it says uh, stronghold. Do not go back to the stronghold, right? Well, in Hebrew, the words stronghold and cave are almost interchangeable. So when Gad uses the term stronghold, he's talking about those caves that David and his men have been hiding in. 
And although they weren't the most ideal living conditions, I imagine that those caves presented at least some sense of security to David and his men. After all, nobody could sneak up on them, right, from behind because they're in these caves. And there was pretty much only one point of entry and access to David and the men through the mouth of the cave. So I have to imagine that when Gad told David that it was time to leave the cave and go to Judah, part of David said, but I don't want to leave the caves. It's safer in the caves. But listen, God hasn't called David to what's safe. He's called him to the throne of Israel. And God isn't calling you to what is safe. He's calling you to follow Jesus, which Jesus himself said is an inherently dangerous thing to do. But through his time in the cave and all that he has learned there about God and about his own trust in God, David has a new perspective for the next challenge. And it is going to be a challenge because where does Gad tell David to go? He says, time to leave the cave and go into the land of Judah. And David ends up in the forest of Horesh. Now, that's significant because Saul's base of operations was in the city of Gibeah. And that was the capital city of his kingdom, his headquarters. And so by leaving the cave of Adullam and going into the forest of Horesh, David is actually moving closer to Saul's headquarters. And I got to imagine, again, David is thinking, here I am in the caves. And you should, if you want, you should go Google a map of Israel during the time of David. You can see all these different locations that the Bible talks about, and you'll see that the forest of her, or I'm sorry, the cave of Adullam is here, the forest of Horesh is here, and this is Saul's HQ. And by leaving the cave and going into Judah, David is moving towards Saul. He's got to be thinking, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to leave the cave and go out into the open, into the land of Judah, closer to where Saul is? Why go there? Why move closer to the people who want to kill him? Who knows? Well, actually, we'll find out next week, but for right now, David has no idea. But listen, that's the path that God has laid out for him. And it's not a safe path. It's not a path of sunshine and roses. It's a dangerous path. But here's the point. And another reason why I think God led David to that cave, that's why we read in Psalm 42, I think God led him to a place where he was just at the bottom so that there was nowhere else to look but to his refuge because God knew that the next step is going to be even more dangerous. (laughs) And so David needs to go through a bit of a time where he realizes that I am his only refuge so that when I call him to the next even more dangerous thing he's going to do, he'll have this experience to, to fall back on. See, sometimes that's why God leads us into a cave as well, into a difficult thing. He might lead us in there to get us to lean into him more. He might lead us in there to enable us to minister to other people who are also in that cave. And he might lead us in there to get us ready for the next thing, which could be even more difficult than the cave. But when we get onto that more dangerous thing, you know what we've got in our back pocket? That cave experience. The time that we had to live in the cave and know that God was our only refuge. So when we do go on to that next thing, We've got that confidence, we've got that certainty, that assurance that God is my refuge. And that's what David has now as the prophet Gad tells him, time to leave the cave, time to go into the land of Judah where it's even more dangerous for you, David. 
But now David has new reasons to trust God. Because he was in that cave, he has new reasons to walk forward in faith because he was in that cave. So the next crushing blow that he receives won't sting quite as much because he's been down to the bottom before and he knows how to get out by faith. Is it possible that God has brought you into a cave to prepare you for something else that he has planned for you? That next thing that might even be more difficult, might even be more dangerous than what you're going through right now. Again, think on the the life of the Lord Jesus as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood. As he's been through temptation by the devil, as he's been through the, the fury and the anger of the religious leaders. All very unpleasant things. And Through each one of those, he walks forward in faith until it ultimately leads him to the final and ultimate challenge, the ultimate cave to the tomb. And yet Jesus walks forward in faith because he knows who his refuge is. He knows God's will for his life and that God is good and that he is faithful. And so Jesus voluntarily walks in faith to the cross and to that dark, dank tomb. But he doesn't stay there, does he? He comes out. Jesus went into that darkest cave, the tomb, and he went in dead, but he came out alive. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion, which is our way of remembering this cave that Jesus went into and his victory over that cave. This meal symbolizes that victory his victory over death, over the darkest cave, and through his broken body and spilled blood, we likewise have an exit from the cave of sin and death. This is why his followers make the observance of communion a regular part of their walk with Jesus, to remember what he has done to lead us out of the cave of death. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, and you have that same trust, we invite you to be a part of this meal as well. But like David, God wants you to see that he is your only refuge. And again, this meal symbolizes our only refuge, the broken body and spilled blood of Christ to make atonement for the sin of those who would believe. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the cave. Even though it's not a pleasant place to be, even though it's dark and wet and frightening, Lord, we thank you for the cave because we know that you are there in the cave. You are there to be our refuge, to be our deliverance, to be our provision in that cave, in the midst of our darkest hours. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you voluntarily went to that darkest cave, the cave of the tomb. And Lord, we praise you that you did not stay there, but that you have power over that tomb and that you came out in victory. Lord, help us, your people, to lay hold of that very same victory, certainly as it concerns eternity and our salvation. We praise you that we have that victory over sin and death and over the tomb, because you have been there before us. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the faith to lay hold of that victory today in our lives. Lord, for those who are suffering, those who are challenged, that they would have the faith to lay hold to that same victory and to know that you are the only refuge. 
Lord, give us that grace. And for the challenges that are yet to come, the caves that we have only seen far off in the distance, or maybe they're even too far away that we can't see them, but we know they're there on the horizon. Lord, bring to our minds and our memory the certainty of your word that you are our only refuge. God, help us to put our trust in you in our times of need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.